this is Louise Campbell, co-host of Surfing the National Army podcast. Today we're offering full conversations from episode 38, a repeat episode we posted for the first time in August 2020 on the roles that nurses, dietitians, and physicians assistants play in supporting patients with fatty liver diseases. I start this conversation by agreeing with Peter Traber's comment about the importance of team care and discuss what's worked and what didn't work in the liver practice in the NHS when I was there. Peter and Roger Green each make comments about how to advance team treatment. Stephen Harrison takes the perspective of what he calls a passionate provider and discusses some of his tactics for motivating patients and discussing two recent cases in detail. His keys to motivation include urgency, broad testing and motivating messages. Listening to this episode three years later, I was struck by how much the commentary still is accurate and even fresh today. It's worth a second listen, particularly for professionals who treat patients and manufacturers considering ways to support better treatment over time. So sit back, listen, learn and enjoy. And when you're done, join the dialogue in our LinkedIn discussion group. Your first point is absolutely excellent. I don't think we can at any stage care for patients and people unless we do act as a team. And I think what we're used to, and certainly within our liver practice when I was back in the NHS, then our hepatitis C would do that. We would have a massive multidisciplinary team every week, every fortnight, discussing the needs of those patients. And I think it was that coordination of care. But I'd like to see it a lot earlier in the healthcare timeline because as we know a lot of these conditions are diagnosed late. This should be at a GP and a primary care level. Every patient with obesity or the associated comorbid conditions, it would be great to have that multidisciplinary meeting about those patients. Now, we've got a strategy that's been published today that may well help that because a lot of it is going to be delivered by GP practices. And I think having access to dietitians, we never had access to dietitians. It was a funding issue within the trust that the whole of the liver unit never had a dietitian yet we know that financially getting patients out of hospital is great when you've got a dietitian involved it turns around patient care it improves their outcomes gets them out of hospital quicker but it was a financial decision from the trust that we couldn't afford a liver dietitian so we had to share one so i think it is going to be very difficult in the way the healthcare system is set up within the uk to get dietitians at a community level for early stage obesity when a GP has to turn around and say you just need to lose weight. We know that it's difficult for those patients to lose weight. So that entire coordination has to come up a little bit earlier. And I think that would lead on to the second point where we get coordinated. We work as endocrinologists and diabetes specialists. We work within cardiovascular services. We're quite fragmented in the UK. It predominantly liver disease is seen as a liver condition for liver physicians. It is not as coordinated as has been described on this program before where endocrinologists are consulted at the beginning in cardiac. So I'd like to see that move because if that happens, GPs may well see this as more of a coordinated condition. And I think the new strategy driven by COVID and the mortality rate linked with obesity has driven us to now face that a lot of these conditions are 
are connected. So hopefully we can get more care, but care can only be delivered at the best way through coordination and accepting that somebody else has those specialist skills or even a theory or a suggestion that might actually help that patient. So hopefully that answers both of your questions, Peter. I just think that healthcare systems, you know, in different countries need some advice on this from, uh, you know, external sources and maybe liver societies and fatty liver groups and so forth can help to provide some of the advice and impetus to push some of this forward. Because I've heard, having been around for a while, I've, I've heard lots of the same kind of discussions going on, but less and less movement, I think, to the best system for, for handling patients and bringing particularly behavior modification types of regimens forward. Roger Green. The most important thing Louise said to me in some ways was um, spawning research because one of the things that I believe is under research within the medical profession per se is the most effective ways to identify patients and treat different patients in ways that are consistent with their own needs. If the opportunity now exists for the UK to do significant research on care coordination and the best way to get patients to respond in a wellness perspective. It's not going to happen tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock, but I would think that would start to move the focus in a different and much more constructive direction. I find that really hopeful. Stephen Harrison. Well, I, I find the comments Louise and Peter made to, to be very accurate. I guess what I want to take is a slightly different point of view, and that is the value of, of a passionate provider. I'll start off with two clinical scenarios that happened to me this week. The first one was a lady I've been following for a long time. She has autoimmune hepatitis and fatty liver overlap. She's been in remission for years now on low-dose Celsep. So really the struggle has been her fatty liver. And with COVID, I was unable to see her in person for about six months. She was going to her Weight Watchers support group until COVID shut that down. And for her, she's 70 years old, single, widow. That was her outreach. That was her social time as well. So she really kind of went into a funk after that and literally just told me, said, Doc, I just I just watched all the Breaking Bad episodes on Netflix and, and munched out on everything I could get my hands on. And she gained 16 pounds in that six month period. And, you know, she admitted that part of it was just not being able to be seen and have that continued encouragement that that always kind of kept her going. And, for you know, for me, when I have discussions with patients who for the very first time, I, I tell them often that, you know, that if they if they don't work on their lifestyle and begin to reverse this, that bad things are going to happen uh, potentially. And I use the quote that sometimes later becomes never. I'll just put it off and do it later. And ultimately, they never get around to it. The other thing I tell them is the harder they work for something, the greater they'll feel when they achieve that accomplishment. And I've seen that over and over again. These patients who come in and they're losing weight, they lose 10 or 15 pounds. They're lighter on their feet. They're, they don't, they're not as achy, their joints don't hurt, their right upper quadrant pain is gone. They want to keep move. They want to keep doing it. People are giving them positive comments. Their clothes are fitting better, and they come back and now they've lost thirty pounds and forty pounds and fifty. And I've got people that are now you know losing seventy, eighty pounds of weight. It's not overnight. It's over a year or two. And then the other patient was a brand new patient I saw who was referred to me for elevated liver enzymes, and that's all I had. I had no records. I had no labs. I said, "Why are you here?" She goes, "I don't know." The doc told me I had 
my liver was inflamed and I needed to see you. So, so what do I do? I order a fiber scan. Literally, I stop seeing clinic and I send her down the hall. She gets her fiber scan. She comes back and she has a cap of 357 and a KPA of 5.7. So the first thing I told her was good news, a great joy for you because while you have fatty liver, and that's likely the explanation for your elevated liver enzymes, there's no significant fibrosis, at least on the scan I have today in front of me. And we're going to, we're going to go with that. We're going to complete your biochemical and serological workup, make sure you don't have viral hepatitis, autoimmune and other things. But the good news is that you can reverse this. And she said, how doc, tell me how to reverse this. I said, you need to modify your lifestyle. Tell me how. And we went through what I tell them. And I think at the end of the day, she walked out of there with this quote, doctor, all I needed was you or somebody to get me motivated to get off my butt and do what I need to do. Now, not every patient's like that, but in that situation, we're hopeful that there will be positive results. And and what I tell them is persistent and consistent. They need to persistently pursue their lifestyle modification and they need to do it consistently. And there's some data that I want to share with you. There are two papers I found that I thought were apropos for this topic today. Number one is a needs assessment for weight management. And this was a paper published in the Mayo Clinic Proceedings back in 2018. And they did about 20,000 surveys in five healthcare systems in 11 states. They had about 2,400 responders. So it was actually a pretty good ratio. And what they found is that being younger, female, non-white, and single, and having some college education or less were all significantly associated with a higher BMI. And the most frequent weight loss barriers were food cravings and, and having a medical condition that limited physical activity. What's not on here? What's not on here is having somebody tell me I need to lose weight and exercise, right? So for me, it's a simple message, but we have to take the time to deliver the message. And when we deliver the message, it needs to be very, very simple. Again, a retired army colonel, keep it simple, stupid has always been my mantra. And, and so we have to deliver the message in a way that can easily be taken home and relayed to the husband or the children or whoever to say, look, I've got to modify my life. I've got to start walking every evening. I've got to start carrying some hand weights. I've got to start doing some exercises and I've got to limit processed carbs. I tell people no bread, rice, pasta, pizza, potatoes, or tortillas. That's simple. It's easy. Cut out the sodas, cut out the sugar containing beverages, and let's see how you do. And and when they come back, I reiterate that. There's some other data that's out there that says the more frequent visits we have with our patients, the greater the likelihood they're going to achieve weight loss success, or if not weight loss success, changing their lifestyle so that it actually affects a positive outcome. Here's a little sidebar. Maybe that's why the placebo response rates are higher or as high as they are in addition to the heterogeneity of the biopsy read and that sort of thing. I suspect lifestyle modification is playing a role. So just to summarize, uh, the other paper I wanted to highlight that that I, I think is important is our patients often say, doc, give me some proof that all this is working, that what I'm doing is going to lead to something positive. And there's another recent paper I happen to be a part of this one on physical activity measured objectively being associated with lower mortality in patients with fatty liver. And this was just published about a month ago in the clinical gastroenterology and hepatology. And here we looked at a longitudinal analysis, a longitudinal analysis of the NHANES database from 03 to 06 and collected mortality data through December of 2015. And, and what we found is over a period of about 10 and a half years, increased duration of total physical activity was associated with reduced risk of death from any cause and in a multivariant model, specifically among patients with fatty liver, an increased duration of moderate uh, activity was associated with a lower risk of death from any cause in patients with fatty liver. So 
ultimately longer total physical activity and even moderate physical activity are associated with lower all-cause and cardiovascular mortality in patients with fatty liver. And so I share that with them. So I give them positive reinforcement on their weight loss. I tell them that this is going to affect a positive outcome relative to these endpoints that I just mentioned. And I tell them the same message over and over again. And I do it with passion. I do it with compassion. And I'm persistent and I'm consistent in that delivery. And I think if you're in a situation where you don't have access to all these ancillaries, a nutritionist, you know, an exercise physiologist or other healthcare professionals that can help you frame care plan for these patients, that hope's not lost. You can still achieve that if you're in an austere environment or you're on an island and you're by yourself and you have to manage these patients. And now, Louise Campbell. We hope you've enjoyed this recording. If you do have any questions or comments about the content of this conversation or the entire episode, please put them in the review section of the page from which you downloaded this conversation or send an email to questions at surfingnash.com. Roger and John will be back next week while I'll be joining from Western Australia, where it will be the middle of the night when we record. The two topics we are considering both reflect recent publications of tremendous interest. Until then, stay safe, surf on, and we'll see you on the podcast. Bye-bye for now.